Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is Writers on Film, the only podcast dedicated to books on cinema. Hello everybody and welcome to Writers on Film. My name is John Bleasdale. I'm a writer and film critic and today I'm going to be talking to Walter Chow who is the author of a new book on the filmmaker Walter Hill. The Walter on Walter, they, they should have, that would have been a good favour name. If it had been a series of interviews, which it isn't, but it is an amazing look at the career of, I would say, a neglected filmmaker who has spanned the decades and made top quality genre cinema um, that uh, really deserves a reappraisal. And it's got a reappraisal in the work of Walter, Walter Child's book. So uh, I'm delighted to talk to him. If you enjoy the episode, please remember to uh, like, subscribe, to tweet it. If you can spread it out on social media, that would be great. We're getting great numbers of listeners. I'm really, it's, it's, it's phenomenal how this podcast has grown. And it's entirely due to word of mouth and the digital equivalent of word of mouth because we have absolutely zero advertising budget or absolutely zero advertising for that matter. So um, the, the, the more you do that, um, the more it helps and that way we can grow further and further um but before you oh oh and you can follow me on twitter because apparently twitter still exists although it's getting worse every day um if you want to if you don't already uh my um twitter handle is dr jonty d-r-j-o-n-t-y but before you do any of that please enjoy the conversation (laughs) 
well, I think that was what was most surprising to me about Walter Hill as, as when I fit, first started this project about seven years ago. It was uh, sort of spurred on by a screening on 35 millimeter of Streets of Fire that was packed. And people were super into it. And I had, had barely remembered the film. I think we are probably the same age. I was born in 1973. And um, people were super into it. I remember seeing it in the theaters. I was probably like 12 years old, something like that. And uh, I, I, I didn't... Uh, I didn't remember it being awesome. I remembered it being weird and I kind of liked some parts of it. I thought Diane Lane was beautiful. You know, I didn't really remember what it was about. Uh, just maybe campy, silly, strange. I didn't, you know, all those things. And then watching it again as, as a full grown adult, I felt uh, exhilarated. And who was this guy? What happened? This is Walter Hill. Isn't he the guy who did 48 hours is, is you know, what I remembered most the most for. And then you start going through his filmography, and I've had that sensation that you're describing where I felt like, well, he's had his fingers in so many things. This is the mm -hmm. guy who wrote Alien. This is the guy who, um, you know, he even did Brewster's Millions, which seems weird, and Crossroads. I remember that, too. And more recently, the the, uh, the pilot episode of Deadwood. You know, there was so much stuff that I couldn't reconcile. And, and so many things that I loved, and, but it never had put a name to for whatever reason. You know, I'm kind of an obsessive cinephile and you know you even as a kid I was making lists of all the spielberg movies and all the kubrick movies and all that you know but i never did that with walter hill for whatever reason and you know i wanted to figure that out i wanted to figure out why he worked for me and i wanted to figure out also why he was invisible you know why it was so easy for me to dismiss him in my mind even though i was interested in other filmmakers that are his you know clearly his contemporaries you know from the 70s all the way through so um it was it was that you know, the, that is precise thing that you're describing that made me want to uh, launch on this project. It, you know, even more so after I, I was searching around, I didn't find many, if any, other books about Walter Hill in English. I thought, well, okay, this is peculiar, too, for a person with that size. You know, he's got 24 films and, you know, more screenplays produced, Tales from the Crypt and all this stuff, you know, for this guy mm. with this kind of body of work for him not to have any real scholarship. That was another spur for me. Like, you know, he deserves, at the very least, somebody to document that he was here. Yeah, you know, absolutely. In, in a way. Yeah. And I mean, there are so many directors who sort of do do that sort of thing, by which I mean sort of popular action um, cinema, uh, and, and yet get much more sort of credit and, and time. I mean, it's sort of become very fashionable to love Tony Scott in a kind of like, um, you know, Rolling Stones versus the Beatles in terms of the two <laughs> Scott brothers or something. Yeah. But I, I don't think Tony Scott, I, I'm not, I don't want to bash Tony Scott. He's great. I, I, like, <laughs> I like a lot of his stuff, but I don't think he's had anything like Walter Hill's sort of consistency and impact. I, I, I agree. And I, I've not really begun to pull many threads on Tony Scott because I spent most of my life not liking him better of the two Scott brothers. That, that's mm. kind of changed recently. You know, I, I've, I don't know if it's the, the way that he died or I don't know if I'm just getting smarter, but um, there, I've started recently appreciating Tony Scott's work a lot more than I ever used to. I used to think it was frenetic and difficult to follow and I scoffed, but, you know, I really love the hunger, you know. Mm. But yeah, to your point, though, there there is a gap in reclamation for Hill. And, you know, I, I've, I found that people who work in Hollywood, you know, action directors or, you know, people like Edgar Wright um, love Walter Hill. They, they really know who he is. They're really excited about him. Uh, a filmmaker like Lexi Alexander 
says that she's modeled her career in a way after him, you know, or it'd be, been compared to him throughout her career. And so, you know, people in the industry seem to know who he is, but the general audience, you know, the, the, the fanboys, and he, you can even see it in the uh, Blu-rays and, and, and the 4K releases now, I guess, um, how, how few there, there were, especially seven years ago when it first started. Now they're sort of catching up. You know, Imprint in Australia is doing a lot of good work. Yes, they're mm. releasing a box set this year of Walter Hill films. But prior to that, you know, I, I had to go to South Korea, I think, to find an Extreme Prejudice on Blu-ray. Um, I, I had to go to Austria to find a a, a, a Warriors um, theatrical cut. Uh, the, 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 he just wasn't really being pushed forward. In, yeah. in a lot of ways. I think there are a lot, lot, lot of things that are missing um, in, in, in terms of our ability or this generation's ability to appreciate him as a whole. That seems to be changing, uh, you know, not, not knock on wood. In the seven years since I've been writing the book, a lot of the movies I've been looking for on Blu-ray suddenly started to appear on Blu-ray, including uh, 48 Hours got a 4K release this um, just this month, I think. So it's coming, you know, it's coming, but it, it's, it's been a long time coming for him. Yeah, he needs his like BFI season, doesn't he? He needs his <laughs> yeah. uh, his. Um, you know, this is the sort of guy that the French were always so good at sort of claiming as one of their own. And and you have an interesting point in the book that he's kind of doing, he's kind of doing the opposite of that. He's taking the samurai, for instance, I think is the one that you bring up as a, as the example, and sort of turning it back to its genre origins in the driver. Um, uh, so, so I mean, it's it's almost as if he's just like one generation too too far away to have got that treatment. Yeah, he seems to be, you know, and and he is more popular in France. You know, they, he did a, a graphic novel in France called Trigger Man. Um, but but the, there's, yeah, he seems a little bit too cerebral, almost. I think for the general cultish crowd and you know, a, a little bit too culty for the cerebral crowd almost, you know, I, 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 he's, he seems constantly to be landing in this hinder space. And, you know, I think his more recent films like the assignment in particular, I think um, speaks to a little bit of tension with him where, as it does with a lot of older directors, I think Spielberg's the Fablemans is sort of in the same category where, you know, directors coming towards the end of their career, their lives, they, they kind of want to be understood as something different than they've popularly been understood as for their, their entire careers, you know, with Spielberg, despite you know Munich and 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 Color Purple and Schindler's List, I think is still kind of considered to be a populist, popcorn, technically dazzling director. And he'd like to be known as something else as the Fablements, which is sort of an apologia for not really being able to land a sad ending. And for Hill, you know, by the time of the assignment, he's really talking directly about his sources: Edgar Allan Poe, he mentions Borgia, he mentions John Keats. You know, the, these are the sources that I think he hopes that we've been pulling throughout the, the entire course of this film, which of course very few people ever were pulling um, out, out of his movies. And uh, this is not me patting myself on the back for finding some of that stuff in there. I think it's just actually really there on the surface, but it's very easy to to, to dismiss it or to, to, to walk by it, you know, because the other stuff is so great to look at. And, and you know, I don't know if you've, you've experienced some of his movies, but for me, None of his movies drag for me. They're, no. they're they're almost over by the time I notice them, you know. And and and, and I, I don't mean notice by like you know if it's if it's worth noticing or not. I, I mean notice by just re re register that I'm watching something. It, it's so effortless. 
mm-hmm. that it, 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 you know, I thought about it like it's, it, it's Cary Grant. Uh, nobody ever really noticed how, how hard it was what he was doing because he's so effortless in the way he was doing it. But, you know, through, from being a kid to now through 30 years of watching bad action movies or bloated action movies, watching a movie like, like warriors, which is, wow, it's so great. And now it's almost over. I can't believe it. It's only 90 (laughs) minutes long. What's going on. I'm used to two and a half hours of this. Um, It's, it's really amazing. And if you were to ask him about that, you know, if you were to praise him for it, he's like, yeah, I never, you know, he said something like, I, I just never wanted to screw around. You know, mm-hmm. I, I, there's no fat on any of his movies, e- even Broken Trail, which is essentially one and a half movies. It, it it really moves. It really moves. And one of his only regrets about Broken Trail was he's like, you know, there's too much stuff in it. There's too much sitting by the campfire conversations in it. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, I don't know. I kind of enjoyed sitting by the campfire with those guys. But uh, yeah, I guess, you know, but still Broken Trail feels like it's over by the time you're flipping the disc. So, um. Yeah, I mean, no, there, there, there's, there's, yeah, it, it, it makes it tough to, yeah, I don't know. I'm rambling. No, no, no. I, I, I love it. You're not rambling at all. And it's absolutely, uh, it's absolutely, I, I think he's someone who I really got the feeling from, from, and, and you quote him, you have conversations with him throughout the book. And there's this sense of like, you almost want to shake him and say, stop, stop doing yourself down. Cause he's, he, he, he talks brilliantly about his films, but he 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 has a big bushel under which the light is hidden, you know, which is this idea that I'm a craftsman, I'm an entertainer, I just do this stuff, and I'm not, you know. Um, but I, I mean, he starts off as a writer, um, uh, and that's where he makes it, he begins making his name uh, in in Hollywood, right? That's right. He he's a very good screenwriter, uh, and he uh, and, and sort of sought after very quickly. His first produced screenplay is called Hickey and Boggs. Um, it's the only film that the, the actor Robert Culp ever directed. It stars he and his I Spy co-star Bill Cosby. It's one of the great L.A. noirs. It's super dark. I think it would fit right right up in there with uh, um, the 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 uh, Robert Altman uh, picture of the L.A. Ghoul. That's so. Uh, oh, the long goodbye. Thank you. The long goodbye. I, I kept wanting to say the long good Friday. Like that's just not right. But um, <laughs> yeah, it, it fits in right with the the long goodbye. It's super nihilistic. And uh, pessimistic about the human condition and uh, about men's venality, about these two uh, guys back from the war, which is a really early topic in '72. And um, they're they're losers. They their 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 wives have left them, and these are themes that have come up, you know, repeatedly throughout the course of Walter Hill's career. You know, a uh, and box is really a Rosetta Stone in a lot of ways, and you know, one of those for forgotten classics that's a little bit. Um, radioactive now because of 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 bill cosby but um cosby's great in it and he actually given all the stuff that we know about him now plays true to true to type he's vile in it um Mm. but he's the hero and i think there's something really brilliant about that but you know from there he he wrote the the screenplay for uh well he was brought in to finish the screenplay adaptation of the getaway uh the jim thompson novel for sam peckinpah shooting down in mexico that was a really big moment for him as well but anyway yeah he was Saw it after he worked with John Houston. Uh, he 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 did two with uh, with, with Paul Newman, uh, a weird movie called The Macintosh Man. Uh, That's the Australian one. the Australian accent one. Yeah, yeah, where Paul Newman attempts an Australian accent, which he kind of gives up halfway through. It seems like, <laughs> you know, the, the, there's an interesting scene in Macintosh Man though, where 
uh, it's shot, shot, shot in a prison and he's meeting somebody there, the Paul Newman character. And he's, re- he's, he's reading a book and the book is uh, Charles Dickens's hard times. And, you know, of course, hard times becomes the first, the title of the first film that Walter Hill needs to direct in 1975. But, you know, I think it's from his disappointments with stuff like Macintosh man, the drowning pool where, you know, Hill said, I want to, I want a shot at directing. I want to do this myself. I want, you know, control over my scripts. And so he did hard times. Um, Hard Times, a bare, bare knuckle boxing movie with Charles Bronson, in which uh, he he didn't say this, but I've heard some accounts that Bronson maybe took a swing at him, uh, which is a terrifying thing. I mean, Bronson's a tough guy, and uh, you know, but uh, he he did not like how Walter Hill cut out most of Jill Ireland's part in that film. You know, uh, he uh, Bronson and Ireland were married at the time, and so caught a little bit of bad blood. But yeah, Hard Times is amazing. It's it's, it's out of the gate, one of the great debuts, you know, for its brevity and 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 its uh, it, it, it's its structure, it's it's tight. It, they're brilliant performances from not only Bronson but James Coburn as Bron- as his handler and uh, Struther Martin. Struther Martin, he, I, I, he's never been as good as as you know. I, I, he's a character actor who I love to see when he pops up, but he's so understated in this. And you have this brilliant uh, exchange between him and Walter Hill. Yeah, yeah, you probably remember it better than I do at this point. But <laughs> it, you know, says so something along the lines of, you know, you, I, I need thirty percent light. I need 30% less of this if you want to stay in this movie. Yeah, um, exactly. But, he but, says, you, know, you, you can do it You can do it any way you like, but if you want to actually see it in the movie, <laughs> it has to be 30%. I love it. I love that. Yeah, you know, and Struther Martin sort of strikes me like a, an actor like Robin Williams or something where he'd be really, really good if you have a director who is who has him on a leash. Yeah. Um, otherwise, they're going to go out somewhere and be in a completely different movie than the movie that you're in. You know, I think... Struther always thought he was in the rose tattoo or something, but uh, <laughs> the, there's, you, you know, I love hard times. And then he follows that up with the driver, which is just kind of impressionistic and, 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 and odd and finally getting its due in the last 10 or 15 years, I think. Um, it, it, yeah. It, re- really beautiful shorthand, you know, a uh, piece, another Ellie noir. And then, you know, hot on the heels of that astounding failure. People couldn't, way to not go see the driver he releases the warriors which is headed on is on its way to be a blockbuster bonanza and then uh the the, the plug gets pulled on it uh by michael eisner at paramount that time i think who, who's like you know what uh people are fighting in the theaters and people have been killed and there's been shootings on the subways on the way to and from it that are being blamed on this movie so we're going to cut our losses and stop advertising for this movie completely and then we're going to pull it from the theaters after a couple of weeks and so you know, what was headed to be kind of his big moment, he really gets delayed for another couple of movies, another three movies until he makes 48 hours. But that, you know, that seems to be the place where he'll fell a lot, where, you know, the, these movies that we look at now and say, how could they have not have succeeded at the time, didn't succeed at the time for whatever hmm. reason. You know, 48 hours obviously hit big, but, you know, Crossroads was a movie I didn't love initially when I was a kid. Again, I thought it was like, like most people did. I thought, this is a Karate Kid ripoff. I don't want to see Ralph Macchio in another, uh, you know, person of color mentor did mm. learning how to fight quote unquote this is just another ripoff but you know age has mellowed me or made me wiser hopefully and crossroads is really a beautiful movie about 
uh, fathers and mentor relationships that don't always go the way they want them to. Um, and, you know, in the charging crossroads about it being racially insensitive for, you know, a white guy learning how to play the blues is misplaced, you know, throughout the course of the film, the Joe Seneca character, the blind Willie Brown, the mentor tells lightning played by Ralph Matt Macho, the Juilliard snot who plays the classical guitar tells him, you're not a blues man. You're not born into this. You don't have the same kind of sadness. And the course of the film is, is sort of a saddening of the Ralph mm. Macchio character. But by the end of it, he beats the devil's, uh, you know, uh, consort, uh, uh, Steve Vai. He, he, he beats him in a guitar contest, not by playing the blues, which he tries to do initially, but by playing Paganini, who is an Italian composer who also sold the soul to the devil, rumor has it for his playing ability. So it's Ralph Macho's character, Lightning, going back to his own roots uh, to uh, find the strength and the virtuosity to save his friend. So it, it's not not about a uh, grading or, or, or a hierarchy of music, but rather a um, recognition that you are who you are culturally based mm. on, on how you're born rather than how you, know, you, you try to um, put on airs, you try to appropriate those cultures and that's a message in 1986 far far ahead of its time maybe 40 years ahead of its time we're not even really prepared to talk about those issues well or seriously now but it's happening at crossroads and you know that's the movie that was that he was filming while when his father died who was mm-hmm. a, a jazz drummer and really instilled in hell's love of music that you see throughout his movies too he really lets his bands wail in his movies um and, and set the scene i think nothing sets the scene for a culture better than than, than the music of that culture but uh yeah so, uh so so anyway all these movies that you feel like in retrospect should have been bigger than they were you realize that they weren't i mean how does red heat not be a hit how does that not hit well Die Hard opened like two months after that you know yeah. you know johnny hansen how is that not a hit well, I have no idea still how that's not a hit, actually. I mean, I think the, the studio mishandled it. And then, you know, all of the bile that came out after Alien 3. And, and you know, um, Fincher was, was sort of spearheading a little of that campaign about uh, feeling like being abandoned by by his producers, who were Walter Hill and David Geiler, who also wrote mm-hmm. uh, the, uh, fi- the, the final screenplay. Um, but, you know, for my money, the work print of uh, the assembly print of Alien 3 is the best of the three first films i want to i want to come to that straight away actually because i uh inspired by reading the book i mean i i felt i knew a lot of walter hill but obviously there were a few things that i didn't know and there were a few things that a few films i didn't know or I, i hadn't seen and like any good film book this had me altering my watch list and adding adding stuff. So I'd never seen Hard Times, for instance. Oh. Uh, I watched that um yesterday afternoon. Uh-huh. And I it's an amazing movie. Why is that oh, film good. why is that <laughs> film not better known? It's it reminded me of um The Emperor of the North, the Robert Aldrich movie, which yes. has a similar sort of uh period. Um yes. Um, yeah, the uh, Depression era, right? Yeah, exactly. Which is, which is, which I always love, love looking at comparative dates. Which is, which would be the same as today making a film about the eighties. 
<laughs> oh no oh no yeah that's true yeah the seven the 70s to the uh the 70s to the depression is about the same as, uh, oh as where we are now to the 80s maybe mid 70s depending where the where you place the depression oh, sweet god um yeah yeah no i <laughs> You know, I, I, he'd be very pleased by that comparison. One of his huge influences is uh, Bob Aldrich. So, you, you know, I mean, Emperor of the North is one of the great uh, um, Aldrich so, social consciousness movies. You know, the comparison to Aldrich is, is astute because I think Hill is very engaged in um, pro progressive idealism. Uh, mm -hmm. And he would bristle at that. You know, he would say garbage. He'd, he'd use more, more colorful terms. Um I don't know that it was ever his intent, but his eye is so clear in portraying how men are in our culture and how, you know, they use racism and as both a way to bond each other and a way to, to, to start a fight. It's funny, you know, I mean, my, my, my friends can say the most horrible things to me, but if a stranger says exactly the same thing to me that, you know, within five minutes of each other, we're, we're, we're fighting now, we're throwing hands. Um, so it, you know, it's fascinating the way that men use aggression and violence, even in friendship. To, to, to cement bonds and the clarity of his vision and his eye to, to the way that all the way different ways men are. And it actually comes out as um, empathy. Uh, mm. It is, it, it is just that. And so, you know, you have a openly gay character, which I, I never would have noticed, you know, when I was a kid, but I noticed now in the warriors, you have an openly gay character in Southern comfort and they're both um, very positive characters. You, you have an obviously gay, gay character in, in streets of fire. In the, in the McCoy character, uh, who was originally written for a man, just like Ripley was written for a man in, in the Alien movies. And it's Walter Hill that flipped the, the genders of both of those characters. Um, and he hints around at the topic. You know, I, I feel like Red Heat is almost a, uh, you know, a, a film about a gay relationship in its early stages where, you know, a man mourning the loss of his, of his partner uh, in Russia finds a new person that he can be close with who has... Um, sort of amplified his masculinity to an obnoxious place. You know, the, the Jim Belushi character, in order yeah. to hide in a really machismo profession, who he is, and, and you know, it seems like a far stretch to go. But I, I came there after watching all the movies that came before it, <laughs> and yeah. watching a couple of movies that came after it to say, wow, you know. And the the assignment is a really fascinating portrayal of, uh, you know, with Michelle Rodriguez allowed to be the most bi that she's ever been in any movie ever, I think. And she's marvelous in it. And then again, the Sigourney Weaver character in uh, in The Assignment was originally written in the source material as a man. And so the, this is Hill really playing around with um, gender and, and the way that gender is represented. And the whole story of The Assignment is like the story with Johnny Hansen, is that appearance means nothing compared to what you are on the inside. Mm. You know, and the, the Assignment was really, you know, slammed at the time side out of scene, you know, I don't think people really watched it before they began to slam it as, you know, uh, an ignorant film. And I think opposite, you know, I think the trans um, theory is that it, the reality, it's not a theory, right? The, 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 the reality for trans people is that they are born as they are on the inside. They, they, there's no choice involved here. They are who they are and nothing about what they look like um, nothing about their biology has anything to do with who they are in terms of their identity. That's what we're mm -hmm. learning. That's what I'm learning. And um, but Hill got it already, and he was talking about it already. And for him to be sort of villainized again after you know Alien Three, and now again a couple of times in his career being completely villainized for a film that's actually in in its way graceful. 
um, is, 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 I think, a major injustice in um, assessment of, of, of his career. Um, yeah, I, I think there's just a lot of misunderstanding about Walter Hill. And I think when you misunderstand Walter Hill the way that people misunderstand Walter Hill, it's easy to be uh, di- dismissive or worse about him. You know, the, the thing that I heard the most when I was saying, when I told people over the course of seven years that I was working on a book, oh, what? Uh, I'm writing about the career of Walter Hill. Who's that? Well, and then I'll start listing things. It's like, oh, he's that action movie director. Like, yeah, he's one of the great action movie directors. But when you say that, I can hear what you mean when you say it. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, it, it it's not Robert Aldrich who gave up a family fortune in order to make, you know, uh, movies like this in Hollywood. It's Walter Hill who only makes action movies or guy flicks. Why am I interested in that? And then I have to say, well, The Warriors is actually about a girl. And uh, Alien, all three of the first three movies especially, are actually just about a girl. And um, the most powerful characters in the movies are generally women. And they're, they're the ones that undergo these sort of character arcs. Um, with Bullet to the Head, he gave us a Asian-American action hero who was also a romantic lead who doesn't know Kung Fu. That's kind of extraordinary for American <laughs> films. Um, the things that he's able to do, he worked with both Ice-T and Ice Cube and Trespass. Um, th- there's there's so much stuff going on. Undisputed is a movie about Ving Rhames and Wesley Snipes in the car- in the carceral state uh, being sort of exploited. As, as for entertainment, essentially by 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 the mob, and the mobsters played by uh, Peter Falk of all people. Did you know? And, and it's like there's so much stuff that's going on in his movies that is uh, shockingly um, current and like, modern. And yeah, like, like kind of subversive because you you yeah. are these these are films which are you know with all the with all the best will in the world i i don't mean to be sound in any way disparaging but this would be a film that in the 1980s i would be grabbing a six pack of beer and watching with my buddies you know yeah. and then for 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 me to be doing that and and to be getting sort of you know not in a sort of preachy way or an overt way but to be getting schooled on america and race and america and masculinity or america and sexuality you know, and not, and the fact that I'm reading your book and having seen most of these films, and and I'm I'm going, oh yeah, geez, yeah, that character is gay, <laughs> and that is for you know, and that is what the Warriors is about, you know, and that is the the guy in Southern Comfort, of course, and you actually go, you talk about the actors and their and their uh, and their luck, their their private lives as well in terms of them being, uh, uh, at least one of them I think is an openly gay actor. A time when it was very difficult to be so. Um, so it 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 is that is isn't that subversive? Is that much more subversive than the sort of I don't know uh, you know boilerplate left wing filmmaker who we we hear about it in the interviews. It, it you know it's, you're going to see a film with James Belushi and Arnold Schwarzenegger, and you're getting something <laughs> which is you know yeah. significantly different to what you expect. It, you know, it actually is subversive, you know, to your point, it's remarkably subversive, but never intentionally, I don't think. I, mm. I, I believe that, you know, for Hill, it was always, this is the way men are. Men can be tender with each other. Men can be afraid. Men can cry. Men can rail at the heavens. And also, on the other hand, you can have, you know, your your macho Tom Cody kind of guy. But the villain is going to be sort of a macho guy in a rubber um, overalls. 
And and then, you know, the the right choice is a sort of, sort of nebbishy guy with glasses who, who who no one thinks is masculine, but he's got some steel to him and he's using, you know, money in order to make his way through the world. And so these are all these different kind of men that are coalescing around a very James Deany kind of character who is this woman who uh, is also made out of steel, you know, um, and yeah. I, it's subversive as hell and, and it's critical of, of, of capitalism. It's critical of all of these systems that men have put in place to advance and entrench their own power. Um, but he's just observing the world as it is. I don't think he's making a statement. And I think, you know, you really get in trouble unless you're, you know, Faulkner or Melville when you intentionally try to tell what you feel, you know, you intentionally mm-hmm. try to have a message in your movies. I don't believe Hill did add any message in his film, except that um, he wants to, tell the truth he wants to be authentic in his through his characters and you know you can see in the way that they fight it's always you know everybody has a different kind of style of fighting uh, um I, I i you know I, I go into a little bit with 48 hours you know the nick nolte character is a big shaggy dude and he has big haymaker swings and the eddie murphy character is this really sprightly sinewy strong smart character who does all those little rabbit punches throughout the course of it and until he gets angry and then he loses his composure and then begins to lose the fight but there's so much story that's told through these, you know, there's a great hammer fight in bullet to the head. It's a, a fire axe fight, amazing fight between Jason Momoa and Sylvester Stallone, like really scary and brutal. Awesome. It's, you know, proto John wick, I think mm. the entire mm. movie is. And um, again, I, another movie that should have been huge. Why isn't this movie huge? It has all the elements to be huge. And then it was just a little bit, it was like five years too early. Last man standing. I find it to be, beautiful and i think it's at least 15 years ahead of its time and it's like it's so nihilistic and grim but gorgeous you know but yeah there's um and he's he's super subversive because i think even he would find it to be a surprise that his movies are being um now i think finally considered for as progressive and 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 interesting as they are this fully integrated police force this fully you know there's all he, he wanted the 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 main gang the warriors to be an all-black gang mm. like, like it is in the book and you know the studio was like as they would be now no way man there's no way that they could be an all-black gang there's no way no way uh and so he sort of compromised and he had other gangs he had all this other commentary that's going on throughout the course of it and you know the most venomous uh dangerous person in the warriors is always using the the uh, f pejorative for 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 gay characters throughout the course of it so you know that sort of sexuality and that gendered violence is always present in his movies and we would look at it and say it's easy to say again it's easy to say oh we were so backwards it was this precambrian times you know we we just said terrible things back in the 80s and the 70s um except that he'll is making these guys heroes. You know, mm. Rembrandt, openly gay character in The Warriors, is the person that guides them back home, really. He's the chronicler, and he's the... Um, you know, th- there's so much stuff. He's the person that saves them from the uh, Lizzie's, the uh, the the uh, the all-girl gang. He's the one that's not attracted to them in any way, so he's not lured in by the sirens. He, he's the Odysseus. Which is, yeah. The, hey, hey, they're packing. They're packing. You know? <laughs> he's got the wax in his ears. He's the one that sees that they're dangerous to them and saves the whole little offshoot group that he's with. Uh, he's a hero, uh, yeah. unapologetically a hero in that movie. And, you know, who does that if you're just sort of a he-man who truly hates, you know, weaker men? Or, the weaker men in his movies are often the heroes in the movies. And and that's, 
yeah, that's subversive as hell, man. That's, <laughs> and, it's amazing. Well, and I, yeah. I do I do think that, you know, you said he's not intentionally doing it. He's just looking, looking. But that vision, um, you know, there's a lot of filmmakers who don't film action movies or noirs or thrillers just as the world is. They film them in a cinematic space, which have absolutely loaded with... Uh, with prejudice and with biases yeah. and with uh, so to 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 just say oh this is just how like you I remember the, there's a great part where you describe the police station in 48 hours yeah. and 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 there's this idea of like here it is there's a there, it's multiracial it's it's uh, a place where there's a large number of women working in the police force mm-hmm. and he just presents it as well this is how it is so this is how i'm showing it but there would be so many who would go no you need a black sergeant you need uh you know right. uh, and he, here we are because because i've not seen a real police station i've only seen police stations on tv <laughs> right right he you know, and and to 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 your point, I think there's a certain obstinacy about Hill and his vision that has rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. I think he's gotten in trouble at every studio he's ever worked at, and you know, because he won't compromise about those things that you're describing. You know, people will come in with notes and have come in with notes and said, you know, you can't do that. You can't have this happen here. You can't have this guy be the boss. You can't have this guy be the hero. You can't. And Hill's like, no, I'm just this is the way it is. And if you don't like it, you can take my name off the picture and I'm walking tomorrow. And you know, he just ha- has always had this confidence of quitting. Um, if, if, you know, and not as a tantrum, but as like, I know the, what I'm doing and it might not agree with what you're doing, but this is what I'm doing. And, and uh, even if I'm not going to articulate to you exactly the reason I'm doing it, I assure you, I have a good reason for it. And I think, you know, you're right. Th- there is intentionality here. And I, I think the intentionality is to be fair all of his characters he seems to have a real affection with a couple of exceptions i think in his career but a real affection for all the people in his movies um and 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 you can you can feel that like for all of their faults you know especially nick nolte in 48 hours i think who he really identified with he really loved nick and Mm. um you know that 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 you see this really flawed human being in every facet of his um, of his failure as a man, but also every facet of his success as a man too. And his, his, his desire to make amends is one of the most touching things about that film. He wants to make mm-hmm. amends with his girlfriend, but he's terrible at it. He wants to apologize to Reggie, but he doesn't have his apology accepted. He, he wants to be better, but he can't be. He's stuck. Mm-hmm. And the movie really is about people being stuck. I think a lot of his movies are about people being stuck, especially <laughs> then, you know, and, and, violent men will have violent ends and they're doomed they're doomed and there's this real touchingness about it you know even at the very end of the the pilot episode of deadwood which most people would sort of credit to milch rightfully so milch is is, is a genius but um there's a scene where both the seth bullock character played by timothy olfant and um you know wild bill played by by dave carradine um uh uh, keith carradine sorry uh they draw at the same time and it's not clear who has successfully shot the bad guy. And there's sort of this brilliant, beautiful staccato uh, exchange of dialogue that says, is that yours or mine? Like, well, I'm going to bet on you. You know, it's like, I, yeah, I butchered it. It's so beautiful in, mm. in the pilot. But that's a kind of writing and a kind of exchange that you find in the driver. You don't find it in the rest of even Wild Bill's short appearance in, in the Deadwood series. You don't hear it there. But you do hear it in other Walter Hill places, and I, I, I think, and I know uh, that that is him. That that's Walter Hill inserting himself at that moment as the screenwriter, and saying, 
men don't have these long conversations generally with each other. Um, you know, they'll play video games with sitting next to each other for eight hours and say 10 words to each other. Mm. Um, but all of those words are full of uh, love and admiration for one another. And how do we boil it down here? How do we capture this masculine language in a way that's also tender? And that's something I think that Hill does and has done throughout the course of his long career, uh, almost better than anybody in American film. Um, but yeah. you know, buried in there might be explanation too for why his films are not more popular or celebrated is that there's always something uncomfortable for the macho person who's going to see these movies mm. in his movies. Mm. They're almost like crit critical of autocritical of, of, of the audience that's sort of baked in. I'm sorry I talked over you. No, 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 it's fine. No, I, I, it's, it's fascinating. I, I, I'm I was just, as you were talking, I was thinking of how, well, so many questions were coming up in my head of, um, so, for instance, one of them is, is I think at the moment we have this notion of toxic masculinity, which is a little bit um, become something of a cliche um, that the, the, there's this. Uh, but the original notion of toxic masculinity was one of of sympathy was was you know these these guys are performing a certain form of masculinity, which is toxic, not primarily to themselves. And and in that sense, using that original meaning of the phrase, um, a lot of Walter Hill's films, as as you describe them, appear to me very sympathetic portraits of toxic masculinity. Yeah, thank you so much for saying that. It's a really good observation. I mean, the original subtitle of the book is uh, the 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 tragedy of masculinity in the films mm. of Walter Hill, and it's now the tragedy and masculinity in the films of Walter Hill, because, you know, along the way, along the seven year journey of this and several different publishers, I was informed correctly that nobody has any sympathy left for men um, in the modern space. And so, you know, pushing a book already kind of a tough sell with people, you know, very few people actually really know who he is, but pushing a book that has as its, as its aim to talk about the tragedy of being a man, uh, it's a tough sell. It's a tough sell even to me as I say it. I get that. I, I do. Um, because, you know, men would be a lot more tragic if they weren't responsible for all the bad stuff in the world. Um, but but if we can get past all of that, you know, there's a way that we can set it aside just for, for a moment and say these world-destroying men with these terrible complexes and terrible upbringings and dads that didn't love them and this generational abuse that results in, you know, half men like Trump and Elon Musk and what have you, you know, all the stuff that, that has built these smogs, you know, in the uh, Hobbit sense um, <laughs> in, in the world, that is a tragedy. That is really mm -hmm. too bad. Um, it's too bad for the fathers who, for whatever reason, are miswired in such a way that could never uh, express love to their sons in a way that was appropriate and health, you know, healthy. And now the sons themselves who are not able to do that and have probably passed it on to their own offspring. And so there, there's a real tragedy for us collectively, but also for them individually as human beings that they can only know, they can only know pleasure from being humiliated. And so there's a terrible tragedy that has, you know, that, you know, it, it, their toxicity does poison them. And, and, you know, it does spread, you know, it is, mm. it is a uh, 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 contagious, you know, they're, they're not just uh, uh, afflicted, they're carriers of, of, of this contagion. And so, you know, we have a world that that's uh, falling down because we've allowed billionaires. And, you know, I, I think there's, there's a sense that we get to with Brewster's millions, even, you know, the, the, the outlier for a lot of people in film Hill, Hill's filmography where 
we talk about, you know, a guy who doesn't want office, who runs on a platform for 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 mayor of New York or or, or governor of New York as um don't vote for anybody. All these guys are corrupt. You know, none mm. of the above, vote for none of the above. And he actually wins the election. Mm. And so what does that sound like? And and all of you know, I've, I begin to think as I was watching Brewster's millions that the millions wasn't referring to the money, it was referring to his followers. And mm. you know, we hear that now when we we look at you know the the Georgia runoff, for instance, or even our last election, where we say, Okay, thank God, but who are these 30 million people that voted for this this maniac, this fascist? Are 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 we rubbing elbows with those are Brewster's millions? The the mm. the the people who are following obvious con men, uh, people who are mistaking wealth for, for insight and for, for, for value. And, you know, I'll go on forever about this, but, you know, it go, go, goes back into the Reagan era and all this stuff could Hill have been predicting all of this stuff. And now, you know, he's not a prophet, but what he is is a great anthropologist. He says, you know, I mean, we're just sort of, you know, a, a troop of shaved monkeys and we respect the same things that other monkeys do. You know, we respect the guy with the biggest pile of stuff and we respect the guy who screams the loudest and we respect the guy who's, you know, swinging around. And and so there, there's a real kind of clear eyed vision of that and the zero sum of that. If we can't mm. achieve civilization. Um, all we have is who we are as, you know, in, in our in our genetic makeup, if you will, as a species, um, not as a race. And so, you know, then you see some of the progressiveness in terms of race, how we're all kind of equal and the racial friendships that you have in his movies and everything, because he believes, you know, we're all doomed because we're all kind of implanted with a self-destructive drug. You know, I don't want to sound like James Cameron now in Terminator 2, but we are kind of wired for self-destruction. And mm. if we can't get over that sort of wired in masculinity, then this is the, the, the end of it that we see. You know, in Streets of Fire, you have the most virile guy in the movie. He has to leave, just like you know, Ethan Edwards has to leave at the end of The Searchers, because all of the qualities that you need to build a society are unwelcome in society once society is built. Mm. You know, like, like Moses doesn't get to go to Canaan. Um, and so there's, there, there's this all of these old stories are in his stories. You know, the old stories of the hero that dies. And then there's a, you know, the buried under seven hills in Rome, right? You know, to speak to your place. But there, there's, <laughs> the heroes don't actually get to participate in society because the things that made them heroes are brutality, their quick decision making, quick to anger, all the, all these mythical figures, they have to leave <laughs> because yeah. we're just kind of, yeah. we're farming here. You know, uh, that's great, yeah. Achilles, but you have to die. Um, I mean that 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 is what runs through the book as well as this you uh, and I think it's a really uh, a, a fascinating insight into what makes Walter Hill such a such a rich filmmaker to to think about is is this he's he he's he has this certain erudition which isn't which is worn extremely lightly to the point that most people wouldn't think of it or or you wouldn't you wouldn't approach a Walter Hill film thinking necessarily of Homer and of all these things mm. and yet that is is light years deeper and more interesting more fascinating than I'm again I'm not dunking too hard on him but you know you bring up James Cameron and <laughs> his sort of like you know paint by numbers use of joseph campbell and myth and all this sort of uh stuff which just just in the end looks so just looks derivative nothing in walter hill looks derivative but it is it is keyed in to all these things which 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 are 
mythical uh, and 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 are coming out of uh, of art you know and and yet even using that language i mean you, you it, again it's a sort of theme of the book you you, you know you putting forward these ideas and Walter's sort of like, well, maybe, I don't know. I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. He is so, um, and, and that, that, that's the other piece of it, right? Because you couldn't get a camera away from Cameron or John McTiernan or these, these guys are really big personalities and they're very willing and wanting to talk about these things, you know, like, you know, McTiernan putting the O to joy and die hard. There's nothing they're, these are maximalist filmmakers and, and and in a really weird way, you know, talking about a guy who has, you know, you know, chases involving passenger buses and trains, you know, he's kind of a minimalist filmmaker in a lot of ways. And, and, and you know, in the, the sense that you're describing where there's so much, you know, what, what was the lovely phrase you used? You know, there, there, there's a bushel under the torch. There's so much yeah, stuff yeah. that he has um, larded in the underneath here. And it's not on purpose. You know, he's not he's not creating stuff. But there's subtext there because his sources are are, are so manifold and 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 um, stunning. The sources are stunning, and and they, and they shouldn't be because they, and everybody I think knows kind of that the Warriors is based on Anabasis, this really old story, this really ancient story about you know a flight from Persian uh, and and this army that's cut off from support and has to run home uh, to 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 the sea. I think we know that, and yet. We're not thinking, we're just thinking, oh, this is just more of the George Lucas hokum. Yeah, he, he Joseph Campbell lived on Skywalker Ranch, you know, this is it's more of that stuff. You know, these guys mm. are pretending, but Hill's not pretending. And, you know, they're, he'll say those things, and sometimes he'll say them in his study, which is lined with bookshelves. And the books on his bookshelves are Homer and Herodotus and Ovid and Tom, Thomas Mann and uh, James Dickey. And, you know, these are real books. And they're not books that that a uh, interior designer has, has has picked for the color and the shape. These are books that have been read. These are books that have bookmarks in them. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. And they are the basis for archetypes, like in the driver. The characters don't even have names. This is a, a passion play mm. uh, about the interaction between men and women and 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 and, and you know, there's the player, the strongest character, the smartest character in the movie is played by Isabella Johnny. Um, and, and it's like there's archetypes throughout. And, you know, with the the Warriors and then the really controversial director's cut that he re- released the Warriors that I, I look at as an attempt to wave a, wave a hand finally mm. and say, I know you love this movie, you guys. And I know that you get dressed up and I know that you get together and you have a six pack. And that's <laughs> all great. That's all my intention. This is further 
my intention. This is, I, you know, he wanted to be a comic book artist for a while. He wanted to do all this. So these are my influences. It's these uh, comics that I grew up with, Sergeant Furies and whatever. And there's also, you know, the Greek, the Greek myths and the Greek historians. And this is uh, the story that I want to tell here. And there's a little bit of Shakespeare and warriors. And there's a little bit of all of this stuff. You know, there's music there, there. There's R&B and, you know, and the warriors and there's Joe Walsh. Uh, opposite of R&B and the, the Warriors too. There, there's all of this stuff in here. Please notice that. Mm. Mm. Please notice that. Um, and of course, he's derided and his own fans turn against him. Say, how could you do this to your movie? You destroyed it. How could you never, you know, how dare you? How dare you? How dare you want to be known? How dare you want to be heard? There wasn't a lot of time taken with, why did he do that? Because it's his voice that's reading the introduction. It's his voice mm. that's telling the story. Vanna Basis, it's his voice. That's the narrator of that. You know, he originally wanted that for his original screenplay. And he asked Orson Welles to do it. Yeah, um, he was shooting the far side of the wind. You know, uh, other side of the wind, I think, or something. But yeah, anyway, he, he uh, yeah, he he's he's really deflecting. He doesn't want to be the kind of guy that goes on about his own work as if as if it were more important than it is. Is what he would say. You know, he does he doesn't want to become the bore at the party and yet through his films they see this sort of steady progress starting with the warriors director's cut but you know landing at a place around the assignment and dead for a dollar where he's really desperate not desperate but he's really like desiring of understanding or at least uh, you know a, a a hearing um in the court of critical appreciation yeah in addition to everything else i was also doing something else too yeah, absolutely. And and deservingly so. I mean, I was I watched again for the first time as a result of reading your book, um, Bullet to the Head. And oh. and I'd always had it in my head as this was going to be a John Woo ripoff, which of course it isn't. That's my mistake. Right. It's from a <laughs> French uh graphic novel, I think. Is that is that right? Yeah. Yep. And there's a scene in that, and it made me roar with laughter. I thought it was hilarious uh, when the two, Sylvester Stallone and the uh, lead actor, of, whose name I've forgotten, uh, from the Fast and Furious franchise. Oh, uh, Sun King. Yes. And they've got the, um, they're, they're, they're doing the classic John Woo, Tarantino face off mm. guns. And Stallone just says, um, Okay, is that enough? Because my arm's getting tired, and I just thought that I just thought that was you. You that so many people try to have their cake and eat it and don't manage, but Walter Hill has the balls and the moxie to 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 manage and and to use this cliche and then to strip it away and and you know and that happens it's, several times in that film. It's a really yeah. good deconstruction of of. I, that's a word he would never use, but it's a deconstruction of the action movie of the time. Yeah, no, I think that's a really good observation. And, and you know, uh, he really walks a delicate line in a lot of ways throughout uh, Bullet to the Head. You know, you have a character in Sylvester Stallone who is, well, a little bit like the Nick Nolte character in 48 Hours. He's clearly racist, mm. clearly racist and still the good guy. So how do you walk the line here? You know, I mean, there. I think you 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 walk it the way that you describe is like you comment on it, you deconstruct it. You know, you're right. He would never use that term, but that's what he's doing. He's aware of it. You know, there, there's this banter that goes on between you know Sun Kang's character and Sylvester Stallone's character that goes sort of like you know, oh yeah, you Asians can't drive. You know, Sun Kang's oh that again. Well, why don't you say that I'm a dry cleaner too? Why don't you just go there? And he's like, there's an awareness of this generational racism that may not be based on malice, but rather is based on a system of upbringing 
and and representation you know that that you know Sylvester Stallone's a product of of the character is a product of you know the sort of uh thinking that we all had as we were growing up you know throughout the course of the 80s and the 70s where you know it's, it's okay to make you know ching chong noises it's okay to think these things about asians and some of these stereotypes about asians are actually positive so what are you so upset about so you know having that conversation with a younger generation asian and sung kang saying come on man are you serious you know uh, and, and then that's a delicate line how do you do that without making sylvester sloan the character an object of mockery or an object of hatred you know on the on the other hand of it and i don't i don't believe that he's either of them by the end of it he's just fully human he's just mm-hmm. a guy who you know does weird work and he's got a daughter that he's concerned about and uh now this guy's gonna date his daughter is like i don't like that not because you're asian because you're a cop and there's there's this really kind of delicate line that's going through this whole this racial line that's being drawn throughout the course of the film but at the end of it you have an asian american hero who's not you know re- related to a, a immortal dragon god or you know whatever doesn't know secret kung fu he's not like all this garbage right but he's just a guy who's trying to do his job and uh, doing a different way and, the, and and he gets the girl at the end of this film that's man you know i don't know how if you know how rare that is for an asian american <laughs> to see in a film especially in 2012 i i can't you know i would challenge your 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 listeners to say you know 10 years ago name one film in the united producing the united states with an asian american romantic lead mm. Mm. Oh yeah. Rare, rare, if not maybe the replacement killers, but he's not Asian American. So there's, there's a very small, it's almost one of one for a while that, 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 that representation in that film. And it's a bullet to the head of all things, right? You're expecting, Oh, it's in this great merchant ivory production of, (laughs) you know, it's of, of, of the red cart or something. No, no, it's in this action movie where it's kind of buried and people are dismissing it as, old Walter Hill and old Sylvester Stallone. I don't want to see that. It, it's dismissed off. Yeah. People don't even watch it. You know, even fan, a fan like you. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. It took a long time to see it. <laughs> Absolutely. It was on the, in the Rome film festival. I remember when it was, uh, when it first came out and I, that right. was I, to be, to be fair to myself, that's the only time I've ever considered going to the Rome film festival. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, Oh, right. <laughs> um, yeah. th- there's another couple of films I want to, I want to, to go into a little bit. Um, well, first of all, let's go back a little bit and and the Alien Three controversy because oh. it, again, inspired by the book, I uh, last night I rewatched Alien Three: The Assembly Cut, which I had, which you uh, make this very bold claim for as being <laughs> the best of the three and saying it's uh, it, it it is ripe for critical reevaluation. You know, it's funny that you say. Uh... Uh, bold because I I actually made the claim to Fincher. I, you know I worked with David right. Fincher on a on on a series that he did for for Netflix, and, and you know we're talking about Walter Hill, of course, who had 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 the had experience with uh, with Alien Three, and um and I said to him, I was like, you know, the assembly cut of Alien Three is actually my favorite of the three movies, and there's a long silence, and then he says, "Come on, Walter," you know, so so not even Fincher. <laughs> uh thanks that's, that's a valid take um but you know i tried to convince him as, as i'll try to convince you if necessary that you know that it's the most full and um nuanced depiction of ripley uh in any of the films in the first movie she's sort of set up as a, a, a as the villain initially and then at the end is sort of just a you know really awesome but but not 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 terribly well developed um 
she's aided in the first film, I think, because there there was used to be like a, a sex scene between her and Dallas and the Tom Scary character that Walter Hill and David Geiler kind of cut out of it. You know, there, there's she's really aided as being a really truly powerful character that has you know held up a franchise now for for for, for fifty years. But uh, yeah, by the third one, she has lost two daughters, and she's about to lose a third one. If you remember, she you know her mm. daughter on Earth has aged out. And um, and Newt, of course, dies in the crash. And then she's about to lose a third daughter, the queen that 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 she's pregnant with. And she chooses to lose the third one. But this is a woman who's sort of been battered uh, and and her body has been, um, you know, the subject several times of, of men's interest in terms of science and uh, taking what's incubating inside of her. So it becomes a very fraught political allegory as well. And then it becomes a religious allegory by the third one where she is a. Uh, Joan of Arc figure. She's been shaved and she's been humiliated and she's on this planet with other men. Um, you and know, she's going to die by fire as well. She's going to die by fire. Exactly right. And there's um, the scene I always point to in Alien 3 is when she's going to, to the mess hall for the first time for, for a meal and she looks, she's looking for a place to sit. She finds a seat. And across from her is Charles Dutton's character uh, who says, you don't want to sit here. I'm a rapist of a murderer of men. Of of, of of women and she says well I must make you really nervous then. and she sits down uh, this is an extraordinarily powerful woman who uh, you know even, even beyond being spunky to a murderer and rapist of women um, says to the Charles Dance the doctor character on this planet she says uh, I'm lonesome you know I, I like sex essentially and and mm. she's like a lot of Walter Hill's characters like Mercy and the Wars for, for instance she's in charge of her sexuality she mm. wants sex when she wants sex and she knows who she wants it from. And that's powerful and empowering. So she's that. Um, there's a sense of doom throughout the course of, of Alien 3 that that is not, I think, present in, in, in the other films. The first, a great haunted house movie. The second, a great, great squad action film, you know, the Howard Hawks tradition. Mm. And then the third movie really is a dirge, is, is this sort of, allegory you're in a labyrinth with a with with the the minotaur and you know it's really shot that way at the end of it going through a through a maze um and there's no out for you except the out that you choose for yourself um and so she does she does she makes the decision to uh to uh self-delete at the end of it and in, in in the assembly cut the 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 monster emerges and she cuddles it in a way mm. as she's going into it so she assumes sort of this uh, classical pose of the pieta um, you know, not not the Pete, the, uh, the 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 Madonna and child pose mm. as she's going into the fire. There's a gosh, this is such a remarkable archetypal archetypal resonance to it, you know. But the movie was so derided when it came out; people hated this movie mm. because it killed Hicks, it killed Newt, Alien Cubed. That means there's there there's a ge geometrically more aliens. Why isn't this on Earth? And that was Eric Red's treatment of the film. I think why isn't it like why are there like a cabillion aliens and then there's a war against there's why isn't the starship troopers um that was the expectation and he, they went entirely in the other way they kind of went insular and introspective as a result of it all these different kinds of men and their frustrations the guy who's humiliated about his iq uh the the, the sort of petty power struggles the um restriction of reach all of these things about men at a terminus and you see echoes now of alien three and stuff like wild bill and deadwood and these frontier films about how do men coalesce a civilization on the, on the edge of nothing uh, and on the spiritual edge of nothing. 
to. I, I always find find it really striking in that film. I saw this film at the cinema. Uh, yeah. So, um, uh, a long time ago, and I've seen it. I've seen it several times since, oh. uh, and I always find it a, a, a brilliant move, but a sort of tragic one when Charles dances Clemens. Uh, is is killed because he's oh my God. he is by far you know the most interesting of the male characters to play opposite Ripley, and he um, not necessarily by far because uh, I think Dylan's an interesting character as well and some of the others, but yeah. but that there's a a real because he's just said this extraordinary admission, not that he's a criminal, not that mm-hmm. what his crime is, but that he's voluntarily stayed on this prison and if you if you want a metaphor for masculinity being unable to escape its own parameters and it's yeah. you know despite the self-destruction involved there you go i mean how yeah. how how reduced and shriveled and desiccated must your experience <laughs> of life be that you prefer to stay on that prison and yet at the same flip side of that what extraordinary love for these ridiculously awful, horrific characters must you have to say, I wasn't going to leave them on their own without any help, you know? It, it's it's truly graceful. Yeah, know? yes, it, that's yeah. a beautiful way of putting it. It's graceful. It, and, yeah, and, and it's, it's, you know, just like with Hitchcock's, you know, surprising murders in his movies, it's really good to look at the moments right before as mm. indicative of what, you know, the author is really trying to say, you know, so to your point, you know, he's doing penance mm. essentially mm. on it. And then he's he's martyred in that moment, you know, in a really kind of quick and senseless sort of way. It just comes down through the ceiling behind him as he's talking. Um, and, and there's this sense too of like, you know, the sort of Damocles for all of us is that, you know, how do we want to go? We'd never really get to choose the way that we go out, but do we do we do we go out penitent? Do we go out as a coward? Do we do out do we go out because of a product of our choice? Or we, do we go out in fear and denial of, of that? And there's, gosh, there's a lot of stuff that's going on in this movie that will directly and does directly offend action movie purists, quote unquote, who are looking for something else, a different kind of kink when they're going to this movie. Alien 3 is not any of those things. And I think, you know, Hill has said before publicly, he, he's like, yeah, we were I was pretty bored by the whole concept by that time. You know, he's just looking for a way out of it at that time. You know, what better way to get out of it than to kill the hero of it, he thought. Um, little did he know. But uh, there, there's there, there, there's a real sense of that, I think, in the film of weariness. Mm-hmm. Of, you know, there's a line in it, too, that says, you've been part of my life so long, I can't remember any part without it. You know, and I think about that line a lot, you know, because I deal with my own stupid trauma, and my own inability to get out of my head, and my own bouts with depression, and my own, you know, and... I look at my depression sometimes, you know, and I'm having worse of it. And I think, man, you have been here for as long as I can remember. You you have been in my head for longer than as long as I remember my parents. It's like it's this constant companion. And so the alien becomes, you know, for the prisoners, they call him the dragon. But the, it becomes like this really archetypal religious affliction in a way. You know, it, it'll never go away as long as she is alive and the real horror of the beginning of the fourth movie is this revelation that even in death she can't escape yeah the alien they're kind of bound together but you, you get this image of all of these holy images of you know of 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 daphne being chased into eternity by apollo you know and their stone visions like there's there's never an escaping it's, it's a kind of hell and mm. 
what does the alien represent? Well, it represents violence and rape too. You know, for for women, she's raped by the alien while she was sleeping, and impregnated. And so, you know, the specter of male sexual violence towards women that's you know evolving throughout the course of the movie as well is suggested to be another thing that accompanies women for their entire existence, and they can never ever completely shake it. Mm. Uh, this malignancy of men. Um, it's always there it, as a possibility. It's always there as a, you know, and, and I mean, it's it, 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 it's exaggerated to the nth degree in that film because you know, she's <laughs> right. literally in a on a planet of rapists. Right, but but you know, by 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 the same token, you have this idea too. I think that was like I developed a different kind of empathy as I went through this process with Walter Hill's movies for men in the past that I would have been um, dismissive of as irredeemable, you know, like in the extreme prejudice, you have this group of commandos that they shout terrible things at each other and hyper violent and do terrible stuff. And in the past, I would have just looked at that as sort of stock characterization of people I hated or Southern comforts, a better, better example, even. Mm. And watching the movies, I suddenly am like, Okay, so what, what happened here in Southern Comfort is you have a football coach, a high school football coach, who has never coached a winning season, but whose identity is that, who goes mad and draws a crusade cross on his chest as he's going you know, through the swamp and almost as a mercy, the people that he's hunting hang him from a railroad trellis. So what's happening here? Mm-hmm. It, it isn't just a slasher film. It isn't just the jock and the cheerleader and the nerd it isn't those character types it's different it's the man traumatized by performative masculinity it's the guy who's traumatized as a gay man by you know a man traumatized as a black man a man who's you know the story of tragedy in all the lives of these men um is 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 almost touching to me Mm. now uh you know and 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 i i think that that, 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 that's something that I carry, I think, after the, the, you know, writing this book is even in movies that I'm you know, watching for other pieces I'm writing now, like, you know, I, I went back and re- revisited all five Death Wish movies and all five Dirty Harry movies in the last few days. And I find there to be sort of a touching dysfunction in each of those characters now. You know, whereas before, I was like, oh, cool, they're the Punisher. I like that. Now I'm thinking, what happened to them is really, truly awful. You know, mm-hmm. not Dirty Harry so much, but what really ha- what happens to Paul Kersley is really, truly awful. And I wonder if I would have the same kind of empathy if I wasn't sort of trained to do so now by watching Hill, who has this kind of tremendous empathy for men. Again, mm-hmm. we don't deserve it. We're terrible. <laughs> you know, we hurt other people because of our trauma. But if you can get past that to a philosophical place where you can sort of say, you know, to find that grace of the Charles Dance character, to say, here I am on a planet full of rapists. But um, yet there's something that's worth saving mm. and maybe through my grace uh there, there there's something that they can find in themselves too that's worth saving and ripley gets to that when she saves the life of her potential rapist there's a, Absolutely. a, a point where towards the end i mean my only pushback to your argument yeah. would, would be i i totally agree with you on a level of character and story but it comes down to execution in the sense that that, I, that 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 maze at the end is, I mean, I think Fincher directs the hell out of it, but I don't mm. think it works. I think it, I think you get to a point, it's a little bit like an underwater fight in a James Bond movie. There's just <laughs> something about the physics of fighting underwater, yeah. which, 
which after five minutes, it's like, all right, skip to the end. <laughs> you know, yeah. where he's going to, somebody's going to shoot a harpoon gun at somebody else. I get it. Yeah. You, you yeah. know what I mean? So it's just I like, I, 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 if there's a film that they could do a special edition of, that would be, that would be it. And get rid of Skip, yeah. Skippy the Xenomorph as well. That just sort of I, I tried, bounces man. about. I'll keep, I'll keep working at it. I've, I've, I've been bugging him about this. You know, I was like, David, you know, just uh, people want this, you know, yeah. you know, I, you know, he, he's like allergic to the topic, but you know, for me, it's like, you know, it, it, it's some of these guys don't actually know what they made. You know, there, mm. there's just, they only see what they wish they had made. Right. Um, they they don't actually see what they did make and you know for for me yes you're right it's a lot clunkier technically in a lot of ways and i think you know owing to overshoots and over budgets and schedules and all the stuff that was ridiculous for 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 that team but and and rewrites on, on the fly too right um but there's uh for me i tend to overlook that for whatever reason because i'm so driven i'm seduced by the uh undercurrents mm. of it Mm-hmm. Enough that you know, like, like many of my favorite f- f- films, I guess they're far from perfect, but the undertow is so strong, I get sucked out to see anyway when I watch them. And I think I feel the same way about Alien 3. You know, I can't even, even though I've watched it maybe like 10 times in the last few years, I can't remember what you're talking about. I, mm-hmm. I, I do know what you mean because mm-hmm. I remember seeing it initially in the theater and being like, oh, what is going on after Cameron? This looks stupid this is ridiculous who is this guy Fitcher? he'll never make it in hollywood um but watching it now I, all i can see is sort of like the beautiful design elements and the beautiful ideas that were mm. driving all of these motions you know i know that the maze probably doesn't work but that but that it's a maze at all that's amazing <laughs> if you, I mean, that's, <laughs> that's remarkable to me that's like okay so you set an alien film in a labyrinth I know all about that myth. That's really fascinating. Mm-hmm. You know, and that myth is also about rape and that's also about, you know, a, an ill spawned spawn and a monster that they kind of put away in a labyrinth and it's used for a, a political power, you know, centering purpose by, by, by King Midas. So there's something that's really, yeah, it's yes. really awesome about that to me, you know, to find it in there. Um, that allows me to overlook some of those things. Not to say that everyone can or should, but just to mm. say that that would be my defense of it is like, you know, the the thematic underpinnings of this are strong enough and compelling enough for me that I kind of can't remember how it doesn't work technically. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, I'd I'd love to keep keep on talking about <laughs> all last man standing, I went to the cinema three times to watch that film. So oh, bless you. Bless your I, heart. I adored, You're right. I adored that film. I love Dashiell Hammer and I love oh, God. your Jimbo and Fistful of Dollars. So but th- this film has to go alongside all of them as uh, I so good. You know. And you know, for what it's worth, he would love the comparison to John Woo. Yeah, uh, he loves yeah. John Woo, you know, yeah. and he was about to remake The Killer at one point. He has a script ready for it. Wow, um, wow, let's but hope yeah, so. yeah, is the the those guys? There's a mutual admiration mm. um, thing going on there. It's hard to know who originated what, but uh, yeah, he would not be displeased by that comparison. I think. Mm. And what and and I I saw his last film, Dead for a Dollar, in, yeah. in Venice. Um, awesome. 
Yeah. And what uh, uh, the last thing that I wanted to ask you though was what was what's Walter's reaction to the book been? What's the oh uh, has, has he been uh, <laughs> has he given you any? Yeah, yeah. He's uh, well, you know, he keeps saying I, I haven't read it. I won't read right. it. I'll never right. read it. I'll never right. read it. But but I will say, I think you will. <laughs> I hope you will. <laughs> and and. You know, I, I I try to be fair. It's not just you know. I hope you back me up on this. It's not all just gushing. It's oh God, no, it, you no. know, it, it, it's it, it's an analysis as far as I can provide one. You know, as well as I can provide one, and it's 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 trying to weasel out these like you know threads that I think he's kind of left there. These crumbs that he's left there for us to find, or the thread is good for a, a, a labyrinth analogy, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, that, that he's left there to help us find find our way out of his work and. Um, he's what he has said is he did watch the the episode that I of of war on Netflix with uh, about forty eight hours right and he he initially was like Walter I'm never going to watch that good for you thank you but I'm never ever going to watch it but his family convinced him to watch it and he called me immediately after you know it was like a Sunday morning or something it was it was an off time hmm. um and I you know I, I love it I, but off in terms of it wasn't during business hours in other words right so, yeah, yeah. Uh, he called and he said, uh, he thanked me. And, and, and he said that it was, um, you know, he's like, you know, of course I'm the one that's being helped by this, but I just want to say, I think it's really well done and thank you. And, and the, there was a part where I talk about bridges in his movies and how they're always sort of places where things happen between characters that are significant. And there was at that point that someone said to him as they're watching, he's like, Oh, well, maybe he goes a little bit too far. You know, surely he didn't mean that. And he's like, well, Actually, for Dead for a Dollar, we went back and we did some pickup scenes so that we could find a bridge so we could talk about this relationship a little bit differently. So, you know, that's, I think, his way of saying something to me about whether or not I was getting close to yeah. some, to what he was working on. You know, and he's, for as generous as he was about anecdotes, as generous as he is about his process and whatever with me, um, for the most part, he never really talked about what his movies are about. If yeah. I ever said, hey, did you know that you have chest opening in at least six or seven of your movies? Does it have anything to do with your asthma? And he's like, so when I was walking with Bob Aldrich and you know that it becomes a completely different anecdote, you know, right, it's like when you're right. talking to David Lynch and you ask him about something, he's he'll talk about carving a birdhouse or some shit. So th there's, <laughs> there's like this, this real deflection of the digging really deep. I, I did ask him, I said, you know, I thanked him. Essentially, I was like, you know, thank you for expanding my reading. I had not read enough Borgia. I've read all of it now because of this project. Um, and I said, in particular, I had not read the Edgar Allan Poe essay that he references twice in his movies and mm -hmm. once in his movie and once in Perversions of, Silent, uh, of Science. And, and I said, I had never read that before, the uh, explanation that Poe gives about the Raven and why it works. And thanks for that. And is it your intention for this to be, you know, your, your, your statement about how to look at your films and there's just a really long unusually long silence mm. you know and he said something like yeah you're the first person to ask me about Edgar Allan Poe but then it's stunning because and that's all he'd, he'd say but it's stunning to me that that's true because mm. the Strother Martin character is named Poe it's Poe um, yeah and he yeah, quotes Poe in the film he, he quotes Poe he, yes, and and there's there's a Poe I think in Undisputed, and there's a Sergeant Poe in Dead for a Dollar. There's Poe is 
foundational for him, one of the great American storytellers, right? You know, one to the other. And I think that sort of it is it in a nutshell. These kind of little crumbs that he gives me about this work and the process of this work have been enough for me, you know, mm. to, to sort of feel like maybe I'm headed in the right direction for whatever that means. I mean, I, I could come to completely different conclusions that he ever comes to. And they're, they're, they're separate things. You know, he does something completely different than I do. He's, he makes movies. I make criticism, but uh, for what it's worth, I think that he's glad that someone wrote 257,000 words about his career and he got to see it. And I, ultimately that was my um, only goal and only real fear about the book was that it wouldn't come out uh, in time, you know, for, you know, he's, he, he's in his eighties now, you know, you never know. Um, you, you never know if you're in your forties really. Right. So I just, that became my anxiety. It's like, Oh, please let's get this out. Please let's get it out before uh, something terrible happens. And I have yeah. to, you know, I, I have to say, you know, six months later, here it is. I wish you could have seen it. Yeah. So I'm just really grateful that, uh, that it's there now you know, for what, what it is and for guys like you who actually have the kind of the, the level of masochism to read it. So I appreciate that. <laughs> no, don't, I mean, it, <laughs> gee, that's, there, there you go. There's the, there's the masculine armor. The oh, <laughs> there's I the know. shell of self-deprecation. I was, I was raised by a really traditional Chinese dad too. So yeah. I might have a thicker shell than most in terms of that <laughs> toxic player. Yeah. <laughs> brilliant. Brilliant. One last question. Final question. Yeah, please. Um, we always ask, and I know I, I don't think I've prepped you for this, but we all, I always ask for a film book recommendation, some oh. uh, a, a film book that you would recommend to our list, listeners. And uh, yeah, yeah, that's it. That's the final yeah. question. Well, I mean, I, I I guess I have two that I go back to. I want I want to cheat about it. I mean, for the I'm going to cheat this way. The, tech, every, the technical everybody side. does. Everybody oh, good. does. Nobody ever. This is, like, this is an impossible question. Yeah. So for for the technical side of it i always recommend walter murch's in the blink of an eye mm. uh, i don't think it's a surprising recommendation you know it's kind of a, a, a honored text but it's such a brilliant book and it says a lot about um it, it taught me a lot about how to watch movies and, mm. and by the way that you know merch puts stuff together merch one of my all-time filmmaking heroes you know yeah. um return to oz my god what a what a masterpiece that was talk about <laughs> overlooked right um, and you know, on the other side of it, just as, as a movie book, it's kind of not a movie book. It's a Sterling Hayden's book, Wanderer, right? Uh, which, which he writes about, um, you know, when he uh, sells, he takes his kids on a boating trip around the world, and he writes about um, his a little bit of experience of Hollywood, but more the experience of sailing and more, you know, evading the the IRS, I guess. But <laughs> it's really beautiful, written, rewritten. I think that maybe not enough people know that Sterling Hayden was a gifted novelist, a gifted writer and, and mem memoirist. And once reading it, the long goodbye takes on a whole nother uh, level of significance when, you know, that's the writer Sterling Hayden who walks into the ocean. Uh, right. He literally kind of did that. And it kind of brings depth to him turning down the Kurtz role in apocalypse. Now all of those things are happening during the writing of, of Wanderer. So we highly recommend Sterling Hayden's Wanderer. Amazing. I, I've not. I've never read that, so I will. Uh, oh, it's that, beautiful. That, that goes on my list. 
Thank you so, so much, Walter. I really appreciate the book. I really appreciate the fact that you've given me a whole bunch of films that I'm going to go back to and rewatch. Because, I mean, film like Southern Comfort, I watched once when I was mm. probably 13, 14. So, you know. That, that, that'll mess your shit up, John. I'm just saying right now. <laughs> that, that, that's a rough movie and great and great. Well, you know, let, let's let's continue this conversation offline if you want. I mean, I'd love to hear your thoughts about you know, even your further thoughts about reward, you know, first time watches of hard times and things like that. That's really, you know, uh, what's the word? It's it's really fulfilling to me to hear more people going to his work, perhaps just because I've talked about them a little bit. That's all, all, ultimately all you wish for, right? Yeah. Somebody gives yeah. it gives it a look. Yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah, be safe out there. So that was my conversation with Walter. Uh, we had a, we could have honestly gone on for hours, as you can, as you could probably tell from, uh, you know, there were so many films I, I, we didn't cover uh, in in adequate depth, um, but I think we 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 did what we could, and hopefully Walter will come back uh, someday and we'll have a another conversation because I I think there's uh, there's definitely more to be said about that that this particular filmmaker but also it'd be great to get Walter's opinions on other stuff as well his recommended books uh, were Walter Murch's uh, In the Blink of an Eye and Sterling Hayden's Wanderer um, two uh, brilliant choices um, one of which I'm definitely going to be hunting down because I haven't read it yet which is Sterling Hayden's book there was a great uh, documentary about Sterling Hayden and his sort of boat years um that showed at Cannes, and although I didn't actually see the film, um, I did see some material from it, and it looked really, really promising. I also met the filmmakers. The filmmakers were, were fascinating, and they talked about how they showed uh, the documentary part of it to Sterling Hayden and uh, and his children, and he, he, how um, how affected he was by it. So that's something that uh, that you might want to also follow up on. Um, all that I have left to do now. Is, oh, I. I yeah, well, no. All I should do now is. Uh, all that's left to do is thank Ellie Atkins for the music, Ali Howard for the art, and thank you, listeners, for uh, for tuning in. Hopefully, we'll be back next week. Although um, over the Christmas period, there might be some interruption to service. Uh, but hopefully we'll be back next week Um, until then take care powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. 
The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.